COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com slash money for college. Welcome, everybody, to You Know I'm Right, right here on the WG Sports Radio Network. Nick Durst, joined once again by Joe Calabrese and Joe. Bizarre times right now with what's going on with, with baseball. We, we both want to see the season come back as quickly as possible, but right now things aren't looking too optimistic. Yeah, there are a lot of things going on in the world, uh, a lot more than since the last time we recorded. So. I think one, th- one step at a time. Let's, let's get everything back in order. Uh, let's, let's go into the summer with some momentum, and, and hopefully uh, by the end of the month into July, we can see some, some changes and some agreements, and we can get baseball going. So without further ado, we got to bring in our guests here. We know we have a lot to talk about with baseball. So let's bring him in right now. From Sporting News, you may have also seen him on Change Up on the Zone. He is Joe Rivera. Joe, welcome to the show. Gentlemen, gentlemen, thank you for having me on as always. I really appreciate it. So you, you also may have seen Joe's crazy Twitter. Uh, the guy's constantly tweeting up the storm. <laughs> um, don't miss, if you ever saw him on the streets, you'd mistake him for MVP Baseball 2005 because that is his, his Twitter logo. Uh, but, you know, before we get into things here, Joe, I see you retweeted recently a tweet from Todd Frazier from 2017. Uh, why don't you get into that a little bit for us? All right. So, so um, you know, I, I think uh, everybody around New Jersey understands that there's always a constant debate as to whether or not you call pork roll, pork roll or Taylor ham, right? So, um, you know, obviously pork roll is a very big thing in this state. So I, I got into a debate with a friend of mine uh, who she was telling me, yeah, it's called Taylor ham. It's called Taylor ham, which is Complete and utter nonsense. Taylor Ham is a brand, as is, you know, Band-Aid or Kleenex uh, in the same vein. So, you know, who else, who knows better than, than the uh, New Jersey authority, Todd Frazier? Uh, you know, you might have heard once or twice he, he won the Little League World Series. Uh, he's playing for, for Tom's River. So uh, I, I tweeted at him and I said, you know, whether or not uh, you called it pork roll or Taylor Ham. And I was thinking about it the other day, and, and, you know, I know Twitter's a place right now that's a real hellhole, but, you know, maybe a little bit of levity. But, uh, and yeah, and, I, and he actually surprisingly answered me. Todd, uh, Todd's a good guy, real good guy, uh, very amicable guy, very, very friendly guy. Uh, in his limited time in New York, he was always a pleasure to speak with. So, uh, yeah, I just I, I thought of it. I retweeted it, and, and as the, the rest, as they say, is history. There you have it. So, Joe, you know, I just said we wanted to discuss labor disputes and whatnot, but I want to get into some other news that's really near and dear to my heart and Joe's. It's the fact that A-Rod and J-Lo, they're back in the mix trying to get the Mets. They might be interested again. And what really piques my interest, not only as a Mets fan, but a Patriots supporter and an A-Rod fan and a J-Lo fan, is that they're trying to get the Kraft family, who are amazing owners with the Patriots involved, and they want to develop City Field, much like the surrounding areas of the Patriots Stadium, Gillette Stadium. And I was up there two years ago, and it's really amazing that the nice little community area mall strip that they made just based on the stadium alone. And, you know, for years, everyone's been saying, Wilts Wilts Point needs something so people could stick around after the games or come before the game, make things a little more family-friendly. And, you know, I think think there's a lot of skepticism as to whether A-Rod – would be a good owner or not. And of course we'd all be hurt because we wouldn't be able to see him on TV anymore. But I think this is, you know, certainly something that would be exciting for Mets fans. I think they get over the fact that he's a former Yankee. We know he grew up as a lifelong Mets fan and you have JLo. They're going to, this is going to basically become like the outdoor Barclays center where you got the celebrities there. A-Rod looking to, to build these glass seats from the front row where you have, celebrities like you have like at MSG 
Celebrity Row. You have all major names out there. Mike Francis, I'm sure he'd be there because him and A-Rod are buddy-buddy. So give me your thoughts on, on this scenario. It's a lot to digest. And do you think there's any realm of possibility that this might happen? You know, it's a good question. Um, do I think it's, it's within the realm of possibility? I do. I, 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 from what I understand, they were talking to some higher-up uh, bankers on Wall Street to see if they could get some, some better funding. And obviously, there's the Kraft potential connection there. And, and we all know the Kraft's a New Yorker, so um, maybe he would be involved there, too. And I think, you know, it's kind of an existential thing uh, when you look at baseball in, in 2020, right? It, it goes beyond uh, just having somewhere to hang out. I think you look at a regular family of four to go to a game, you know, tickets are decent tickets are $150 a piece. And you're already talking $600 there for a family of four. Um, and then you get into concessions and you get into things like merchandise. And, you know, you, at the end of the day, if you, you buy some shirts, you buy, you know, you go tolls, you go parking, you're looking at a day that's close to $800, $900, and maybe even $1,000. And if you can develop an area uh, around City Field, and anybody that's been to City Field knows it's not exactly a sexy or a glamorous area, particularly around City Field, you know, no offense to Queens folk around there, but it's not necessarily a, a place that you'd want to hang out, you'd want to be at. But, you know, if you're asking people to spend that much money, <clears throat> excuse me, to spend that much money and then, you know, not hang out, just kind of be an in and out kind of thing. I think it would be much more beneficial for the Mets just for, just for that area in general to have uh, a lot more happening there. So um, I, I do think when you look at JLo, obviously she's, uh, I'm not sure there's, there's many people in this world that are better at self-branding and, and just an image than Jennifer Lopez is. Uh, you know, you can put all of her acting talents up there and, and her singing talents, obviously. And she's obviously, uh, you know, Jenny from the block. <laughs> we all know that. But um, And from a brand standpoint, that would be wonderful for the Mets. And A-Rod, we know how bright of a baseball mind he is. You can put all of his baseball demons back in the closet if you want. I think he's done a marvelous job of, of resuscitating his public image. Um, I don't know how genuine that is. I'm not sure anybody really knows how genuine that is. But the fact of the matter is that he's a completely different person now than he was as, as a player at the later stages of his career. So um, I think it would be a very good thing for the Mets. I think anytime you have figureheads like an A-Rod, like a J-Lo, it's very good for your franchise. We'll see if they can get it done. I'm I, not, still not sure if, if the Wilpons are really going to play fair um, with, with selling this team, but uh, it's certainly a good thing altogether if, if the sale does eventually go through and, and uh, a couple like J-Lo and A-Rod would be pretty good to, to head up that organization. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with all your points, Joe. And uh, I wanted to add something in here in particular because Nick and I have previously discussed this uh, on the podcast before. Uh, the biggest, I think... I wouldn't say obstacle, but one of the things that's absolutely going to be paramount about this deal is SNY being included. Absolutely. Now we've seen we've seen uh, A Rod and J Lo go to, uh, like you mentioned before, Wall Street bankers. Uh, a lot of rumblings about J P Morgan Chase and them getting involved. And now we saw, uh, I think, in the report that came out Friday, that Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, is looking to get involved in this. So I mean, like again, I got I agree with all your points. Uh, I think J-Lo is a marketing genius. She, she really knows how to, to, how to do that for herself. But again, this deal is not going to happen unless SNY is involved. Absolutely. That's, it's, a, it's a very good point, Joe. And, you know, a lot of times now you're seeing it across, across baseball. You know, the Cubs have the Marquee Sports Network now. The Yankees have had the Yes Network since 2004, 2003, I want to say. So, um, you know, regional sports networks are where the money's at. I mean, everybody gets their money. And if, and if a team owner has a stock or has a share and, or has complete ownership of their, of their RSN, I think that's, it's just smart business, I guess. You know, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to kiss the butt of billionaires too much, but it is smart business to own your RSN. You saw it with the Yankees, they recently bought back the, their shares in the Yes Network. So it's potentially another revenue stream heading, heading back to them. And, um, you look across Major League Baseball, again, uh, regional sports networks are where it's at. And if you have uh, an RSN in New York like SNY, that's just more money at the end of the day. And do you understand why the Wilpons were unwilling to part with it 
you know, because that's, that's a revenue stream for them. Uh, you know, we're, we're never going to be a hundred percent certain as to what the financials are with the Wilpon family. I think everybody kind of comes to terms with that now, but um, if they are willing to part with at least a piece of SMY, I think that would be huge for whoever is looking to, to buy into the Mets. Yeah. And Joe, I think by not including SMY originally and then they, for their own five-year plan, with Steve Cohen, they cost themselves, it looks like, at least a billion dollars because the, they're not getting what he was offering, 2.6 anymore. This is The next deal is probably going to come in in the one billion, which is a lot of money, but especially now with all this financial uncertainty, they're probably kicking themselves. Uh, and you mentioned earlier, J-Lo, great market over herself. Could you imagine if they had a giveaway day with that Jennifer Lopez bobble butt She's in the Mets hat. I mean, the, the price of those things on eBay, Joe, would be ridiculous. I mean, it would just be incredible. But, uh, you know, whether, and if A-Rod becomes the owner, I think it's interesting to note here that a lot of the players around the league, they really like him. So a lot of people would probably say, hey, I want to come play for the Mets because A-Rod will be a player's owner. But the thing that the Mets cannot afford here, the franchise, would be to bring in an ownership group similar to Derek Jeter with the Marlins, where there's no money at all and they're tearing down and they're never going to be able to spend the big bucks. That's why I was like, so excited for Steve Cohen to come because you were like, hey, maybe they get Nolan Arenado down the road. Maybe Mookie Betts is, is, a, is a free agent availability. Hey, maybe they'll lock up Pete Alonso and Conforto and Syndergaard. But if you have a, you know, this, this group come in and they don't really have that much money, they just bought the team – it's certainly not going to be a good luck for the franchise, right, Joe? I think uh, you know the Mets fan base is just not going to not going to deal with it. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, um, and I think when you look at it too, it's uh, you kind of wonder how much of the Wilpons have mis obviously mismanaged this franchise. We know everything that happened with the Madoff uh, scandal and and how close Fred Wilpon was. Uh, with, with Bernie Madoff and, you know, we're, they were supposedly best friends. So we know everything that happened there. That's pretty much ancient history at this point. And um, we obviously, don't, again, we don't know 100% of the financials happening. Uh, lots of speculation that they, there's just not a lot of money coming in. But um, you figured being a baseball team uh, in the largest market in the world, in the largest media market in the world, uh, would generate money automatically, right? So uh, whoever's going in there, I think, they're going to be kind of set up to have a little bit of extra money on the side. I don't think that they're going to go in there and be totally broke like a Jeter situation because we know the Marlins just can't draw down there. We know that that baseball in Florida, just for whatever reason, outside of spring training, just doesn't seem all that viable, whether it's the stadiums, whether it's just a lack of hunger for baseball down there, but it just doesn't seem like it's, it's totally viable. Uh, so maybe it's it's not as close a parallel, but absolutely, I don't think you want an ownership group going in there who's not going to have the money to spend, who who might not have the money to spend. They just want to buy the team to have a team. I'm not sure that's going to be the case, but it's something that Mets fans absolutely uh, should be a little worried about, whoever comes in next. And how worried is Brody Van Wagenen and, you know, for that matter, Luis Rojas about their job security going through a pending sale? I mean, Rojas, in my opinion, should have already been worried because – you know, Brody Van Wagenen's college roommate is A.J. Hinch. He's only suspended for this year, whether it's season or not. So something to keep an eye on there. But, you know, Van Wagenen's trying to win now. And this is going to lead to our next thing here, where there might even be the season. Then you sell the team. Usually, you, you know, look at Jeter. The new order comes in and they like to clean house, Jim. Yeah. And, you know, the, the funny thing about Van Wagenen is, and I don't want to defend him too much, but I've said this in the past, when you look at his moves on paper, especially uh, the moves that he made in free agency in the offseason last year, they all pretty much made sense, right? Like you can't look at his move and say, oh, well, this was a bad outright signing. Like maybe you could say that about Familia, but, you know, Jed Lowry was still a pretty good player. And, and you look up and down, a lot of the moves that he made were depth moves. Uh, Wilson Ramos, you know, it's a pretty good move. And, and the Mets we know have had – uh, a rotating, a revolving door catcher for a very, very long time. So, you know, maybe you bring in Ramos to kind of stabilize that there. And then J.D. Davis obviously worked out for them pretty well. Um, so I think Van Wagenen has the right idea as to what he wants to build with the team. The only problem is, like, none of the moves that he's made have worked out, right? It's like 
uh, you know, whether it was Lowry with, with his left side of his body, whatever was happening there, or Familia just couldn't find the plate, you know, all of these things just was one thing after another that was going wrong. And I understand that you have to, uh, you have to kind of be a judge of talent as a GM and, and make the right moves. But when you look on paper, a lot of things were fine. And again, I don't want to defend him too much because they're obviously the moves that he made still hasn't really worked out, but uh, I think when you're looking strictly at that, maybe a little bit of it, he's got a little bit of apprehension. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. When it comes to his job security there, maybe not necessarily when it comes to a new owner. Obviously, that's going to add a little bit of fuel and fire, but maybe he was already on the hot seat. And with Rojas... The funny thing about Luis Rojas is, and you don't want to say funny, but Eduardo Perez was second in line to get that job, right? We all knew that. After Carlos Beltran was hired, we all knew that the finalists came down to Eduardo Perez and Beltran. And I understand maybe you don't want to stick a guy in there that's totally inexperienced after everything that happened with Beltran after he was fired. But, you know, if you're Luis Rojas and you're a guy that wasn't a finalist, even if you were getting uh, interviews last year and, and you're not – you know, you're, you're essentially their third choice as manager. I can't feel great. It really can, even if the players all love them, uh, which, which, you know, reportedly everybody does. And a lot of guys came up through the farm system, have experience with him as well, obviously. But, you know, if, if one guy goes, I think both goes. I think if there is a new ownership group at some point um, within the next six to eight months, I think you are going to see both guys go. Um, I don't think it's going to be like a question of, you know, let's give them another year to figure it out because it, it just doesn't seem like a natural fit right now for either guy. Uh, and we'll see where they go from there. But obviously an ownership group comes in there. It's going to be a lot of added pressure on those guys. And Joe Calabrese, what do the Mets do with Robinson Cano? This is going to go down as one of the worst trades in franchise history. And then the, the follow-up to that is, you know, if A-Rod buys the team, his boy, his best buddy, Robinson Cano, so maybe things get turned around there. But what do you think about the whole Cano scenario? And also, do you see, if A-Rod becomes an owner, a Jerry Jones scenario where he's owner slash GM? Well, we'll start with the Cano trade. Because I think there are a lot of underlying things there that we've discussed before that came along with the Cano trade. Uh, it all depends on Jared Kalanick. I mean, if he's a really good player, then obviously that trade's going to really, really, really hurt down the line. But the whole point of that trade was to get Jay Bruce's contract away from that organization, right? And, I mean, they got a pretty good player back in return, even though he didn't have a good season last year. Uh, but... I think you need at least two or three years before you could fully really, really truthfully evaluate that, that trade. Um, and that as for A-Rod being Jerry Jones, I mean, it's certainly possible. How many times have we seen organizations totally clear house and A-Rod is a strong baseball mind, but he's also a strong personality you know that if he's going to buy the team, he's going to be hands-on with the team. And you know if he's going to be hands-on with the team, chances are he's going to want guys in the front office, in the dugout, who share that same vision, that, sh that same passion for baseball that he does, right? So those moves will come systematically, you know, in, in, in the event of a, a hypothetical scenario where they, they end up getting the team. But, uh, you know, as for A-Rod being Jerry Jones, I wouldn't necessarily go that far yet, only because I don't think he has the front office experience yet. Uh, like we saw with Beltron, uh, I think it was much more of an easier sell simply because Beltron was working as an advisor for the Yankees. And uh, obviously I don't want to get into the controversy that happened there, but he kind, we kind of saw him being groomed a little bit for a, a, a role post playing career uh, to be hands-on with players and, and, and everybody in the front office, right? So I think A-Rod, in the case that he gets the team, I think because he's so passionate, passionate about New York too. He, he just seems like he's trying to rebrand himself, not as a Yankee, 
as a Met, as somebody who's there for New York, I, I think he'll put the right people next to him. And I don't think he'll be drunk on power, so to speak, and put himself in a position where he's taking out too much responsibility, which could end up sabotaging you know, his, his position in, in the long run. I can't see him doing that. Joe, my question for you, you know, based on Joe Calabrese's point here, is would the MLB and the other owners even approve an ownership sale to A-Rod and J-Lo? You know, it's it's a good question. Uh, we've seen in the past um, that maybe ownership changes aren't always uh, – not always as smooth as, as you'd want in Major League Baseball, right? I mean, obviously the McCourt situation with L.A. was, was kind of unprecedented at the time, and uh, that was a very, very, very ugly situation for Major League Baseball. Um, you look at everything that happened with Mark Cuban wanting to buy a team – uh, wanting to buy the Rangers, but, you know, Major League Baseball apparently not wanting a guy like Cuban to run a team, which never exactly made sense to me. Um, and obviously, you know, there were, there was a little bit of hesitance with, with Derek Jeter and, and buying the Marlins. So, you know, you never want to say that, yeah, this is a slam dunk, no doubt about it. You also don't want to say, yeah, I have no doubt that Major League Baseball wouldn't want this here. But uh, you think that if A-Rod has the funding, if he has the backing, uh, I think the Wilpons just at this point, when you look at the damage that they've done to this franchise in New York, um, it's kind of, you don't want to say it's irreparable because that's inaccurate, but it, it definitely is not a pretty situation what they've done with that team. So yeah, I think that um, if A-Rod were to go, you know, if they were to auction off or whatever it is and, and you go uh, sit before uh, Rob Manfred, I think the 29 other owners would probably be okay with, with letting that walk. Certainly. And Cuban would have been a phenomenal owner. I don't care what anybody says. I think whatever team he would have bought would have ended up being a winner. No doubt about it. The guy loves to win. And that's the kind of mentality you as a fan would really want from your owner. But, you know, talking about other messy situations, Joe, right now we have a big dispute going on between the players and the player, I mean, the players union and the owners. And the reason why this is so back and forth right now is because we have the end of the CBA after next season. So they're having that, they have that at the front of their minds. Tony Clark's doing all he can for the players. You know, originally the, the owners come out and they want a 80 game season and they want basically everybody to take an 80% pay cut. And from there, the, the players were like, this is a slap in the face. Max Scherzer spoke out about that. And they come back, they want a, June 30th start with 114 games and a regular season ending October 31st. That sounded good to me because, hey, it's, you know, you're getting a full season. There's really no reason for the season to, to end before October. It doesn't make any sense to me. And the owners came back and said, no, no, no way. Let's do 60 games for a prorated schedule. A 60-game or 50-game schedule, whatever it's going to be, would be such a joke, Joe, that they at that point, you know, I want baseball, but it's not even worth it. We're talking a two, we're talking two months, and if the team gets hot for two months, they're really not that good. They could end up sneaking into what is apparently going to be extended playoffs, and that's just to me not going to be a legit, valid season if we're talking a, a season that's anything less than 100 games. Yeah, I think that's about right, Nick. I, I really do. Um... You know, you want to look at it as the owners are putting it out there probably as a negotiation tactic. I, I personally was surprised that the players would even go as high as 114 games. But, you know, you understand that they want their money. And then it's totally – I tell this to people on Twitter all the time. Um, you know, you never want to really side with billionaires versus millionaires. I, I understand that uh, the players aren't really hurting for money, but they sign these contracts and they're entitled to their money and they're entitled to fight for as much money as they – as they want. So uh, to kind of paint the, the players as the bad guys in the situation isn't totally accurate. Um, they want to play uh, any, these guys work their, their asses off their entire lives to get to the show and, and to have a season kind of taken away from them. Uh, I'm sure that doesn't sit well with a lot of guys. So you do, you do understand that they want to play. And, and if they do end up playing for, you know, 82 games or which would be, I think, the bare minimum, I think that's probably what makes the most sense. You know, anywhere between 82 and, and 100 games would probably make the most sense. Uh, I, I don't understand. I mean, I do understand what the owners are thinking and that they don't want to spend the money and they don't want to pay these guys. But at the same time, I, I just don't understand why the owners are, are reaching for the tactic of, hey, let's play 
less baseball, when, when all these other sports, when uh, the NHL and, and the NBA are all talking about playing again soon and, and Major League Baseball still like quabbling over, squabbling over, you know, how many games are we going to play this year? Just play the games, man. Play as many as you can. So, yeah, it's not a, it's not a great situation. It's a very ugly situation for uh, for both sides. You don't want to put the blame on the players. Like I said, they are entitled to their money. They do deserve to get as much money as, as they want. As you know, That's their right to fight for. So we'll see how it works out. If I had to guess, I, I would say that they probably end up playing around 75 games this season. 50 seems way too low, and I don't think the owners want to go 114 either. So, uh, we'll see where it lands, but that's if I had to t- if I had to take a guess, it's probably my my best guess. The other rumor is that I don't know if you heard anything from your sources, but a lot of there's, there's a there's a movement here of a bunch of owners who want to cancel the season so that they can save money on expenses. Have you heard any about anything about this? And is this just like a vocal minority that we're hearing this leak out, or is this kind of like a tactic that the players you might be leaking out to try to when the quarter public opinion. You know, I think anytime, Nick, you look at this, these public negotiations, this stuff all gets leaked for a reason, right? I mean, this is somebody putting a message out there. I think that the second that the owners tried to start pitting the, the players as the bad guys here because they wanted their money, uh, you know, and trying to divide the players between the highest paid guys and the, and the least paid guys, which is really what they tried to do. I think that this might be coming from the player side saying, you know what, the owners really don't give a damn about playing baseball. And I think in some cases that's probably true. I would not be surprised if that's, if that's the case, if the owners don't want to play because we're seeing it across sports guys where, you know, families like the, like the Hunt family and, and the NFL and the NFL own the Chiefs or um, the Rooney family in Pittsburgh. A lot of these families aren't sports families. They're business families where it's not, uh, it's not a, a family trade. It's not something that's been in their in their bloodlines for generations. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot, if a few of these owners say, you know what, maybe we might be better off just not playing this year and saving some money this year and trying it again next year, which would do a lot of damage to the sport in general. But uh, you know, I can't say with certainty, Nick, to answer your question, I can't say with certainty one way or the other. I personally have not heard anything. Um, about the owners wanting to, you know, with, with 100% certainty that the, some owners want to uh, not play games this year, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if that was the case in, uh, in a few situations. So, Joe, if, if, you, if you had to make this decision here, you know, in your gut, if I asked you one month from today, June 2nd, Thursday, are we having Annan Verk, Scott Rogowski, and Lauren Garner on the zone talking <laughs> about live baseball or – is the season probably going to start later than that? No, I, I think I think these guys are going to get it done. I, I think both sides, and, and you know, just as an aside, love to hear Adnan and, and Scott and Lauren, and you know, the whole gang back on the zone. You know, I love listening to them talk baseball. You know, hopefully they have a spot for me at some point in the future to talk baseball with them. But uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. But if I had to guess, I'd say that we're playing baseball in a month. I think that both sides understand that they need to get games underway. And you look at, you know, American history, and you don't want to get too self-righteous here, but if you look at, if you look at American history, whether it was World War II, baseball was there, right? And, and baseball was deeply ingrained in, excuse me, everything that was happening with World War II, whether it was players leaving or, or just having uh, the games go on or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, you look at 9-11 and, and baseball was there, and, and it, was, it was part of the healing process, especially for New Yorkers. Uh, you know, obviously the Yankees go to a World Series. Mike Piazza hits that big home run. Um, you know, and just baseball in general was there for for people. So uh, you look at that too. And and I think that now it's no different. There's a lot of civil unrest, and you don't want to treat baseball. Obviously, I'm not saying this. You don't want to treat baseball as bigger than what's happening in the country right now because that's factually and wholly untrue. Um, but you know, baseball would be there, um, and it would be there once again for for people who need it. And, and, Maybe a little well, Joe, bit let me ask you a question quick. Yeah. Just to chime in. So you're, you're talking about baseball being there, right? Nick mentioned before uh, some of our favorites, right? Uh, the trio of Adnan, Scott, and LG. Uh, could we expect you to be on the zone and the changeup? <laughs> should the show come back and should we be, all be back a month from now? Oh, and man. Joe, you're going to be singing again like last year when you sung for Tony and Lauren. Listen, I am promising one thing I can tell you with 100% certainty. There will be zero singing from me. Um, I, my, my singing career is, is over. 
Uh, I was confused with somebody from The Voice when I was in the mall when malls were still open, um, which was actually slightly flattering. But, you know, maybe they had a voice that sucked. I don't know. Um, Come on, Joe. You know if they came to you and said, can you do, like, the opening uh, theme song? Or you better be the house band, like the roots for Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> you know you're taking that in a heartbeat. <laughs> Listen, there's a few select songs that, that would get me moving and, and get, me in the, get me in the mood. And maybe you put a corona or two in me and – and we'll go from there, but uh, I can honestly say to both of you, I, it's, I can't imagine that I will be singing on The Zone anytime soon. That's not what people tune in to see. That's not what they tune in to hear. Uh, they, they tune in to hear, you know, Adnan being smart. They tune in to Scott telling jokes. And, and Lauren, obviously, with her, with her baseball knowledge and, and love listening to her talk baseball uh, and her hair. So uh, COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com slash money for college. Uh, been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. They tune in for that. They, they, would not, they would not tune in for me singing. Uh, I don't think that's what they want. They just want my crappy top five lists and power rankings and, and away we go. Well, you know, there was, there was a lot of controversy with you being on. I mean, one of the researchers, Matt Kuchar, couldn't stand you because you want robot umpires. But that might be good for social distancing <laughs> now, so you might be ahead of the game there. Your change-up debut in April, you said Pete Alonso MVP. You were very close on that, but – your debut on the show, live from Fenway Park on the field. You just handed Mookie Betts the Sporting News Player of the Year award. And then you come on and you're talking baseball. But now I got to ask you about your buddy Mookie Betts here. How bad of a trade is this looking for the Dodgers here, especially if there's no season? The Red Sox yeah. are looking better and better each day as this goes on. Yeah, you know, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right, guys? I mean... Uh, you trade Mookie Betts is, is a top five player in baseball. He's a top three player in baseball. Uh, you don't, you certainly don't want to absolve the Red Sox of their sins here. You just don't trade talents like that. Um, those are guys that you don't come across in major league baseball. And Mookie Betts is on a hall of fame arc right now, guys. I mean, you don't trade those players, especially when you're a team like the Red Sox. This isn't, it's not like Mookie Betts was coming up with, with the Rays or they were coming up with another one of these teams that, that just don't have the money to keep their stars. This is the Boston Red Sox, guys. So, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you, you always want to see – and you're saying now, today, you know, if there's no season, then, you know, maybe the Red Sox did make out pretty well. But I, that's, that's still tough for me to say because I just don't think you take away players of Mookie's caliber and, and ship them off. It just doesn't make sense to me. But uh, certainly if there, if there is no season, which, you know, we hope that's not the case, uh, then, yeah, maybe the Red Sox did, did make off a little bit better than people expected. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens with service time and, and should he hit free agency, which seems to be the case. Um, you know, it's still crazy that Jock Peterson never ended up getting traded again. Yeah. And you wonder how that situation is going to be uh, resolved, if at all. Uh, you know, you figure that maybe the, the Dodgers would be open to trading him at some point during the season. But, yeah, it's, it's all, again, you don't want to absolve the Red Sox of their sins uh, of trading a guy like Betts, but, Certainly, uh, it looks a little bit better now than it did five months ago. Joe, I have a question for you. Yeah. So we were on the topic of Mookie Betts just now, right? Never how it relates to the, the trade and everything going on right now. Uh, obviously, there's no concrete plan, no concrete date yet on when spring training, now summer training is going to resume, on when a schedule would begin, on when, on when a schedule will end, when, on when a postseason will begin. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's normally happening in the off season that's going to have to be pushed back. So my question for you is, because of this, the, this, the, the predicament that a lot of these players are in, uh, 
and because we're, we'll extend this too, we'll extend this to managers, coaches, uh, front office executives, right? Give me another player who may not necessarily benefit from, from everything that's going on, or give me a manager right now who's not going to, to benefit from a, a, a shortened year and, a, and presumably a, a shortened offseason coming up. Uh, you know, the, the one guy that immediately comes to mind to keep a New York focus would be Giancarlo Stanton. Um, you know, I mean, this is a guy who obviously he's had his injury issues with the Yankees. And, you know, a lot of people thought he underperformed his first year with the Yankees, which is, which is tough because the analytics say one thing, the eyes say something different. And, you know, there are people that believe in clutch and all that stuff. But uh, a run in the first inning counts the same as in the eighth inning, guys. And I know run expectancy, run expectancy, all that stuff, uh, you know, might be a little different. But, you know, if John Carlos Stanton gets back and, and he's not a great player, you are going to hear it from, from these New York fans. And, uh, you know, as far as the manager goes, I think this whole house, this is, this is tough for him, man. Uh, I mean, uh, you're, you're kind of gifted an opportunity you know, to get out there and uh, make a name for yourself. And, you know, if they do play minimal games this year, whether it is that 75, 60 game mark, whatever it is, and he doesn't impress, he's going to be out the door. Um, or if he, if he does do well in, in a season where you really just are unsure how it's going to play out, I've been telling people you just don't know how the season's going to play out with, with 100% certainty whatever happens. So um, if, he, if he does take over and he goes 40 and 20 in a 60-game season or whatever, how much of that do you believe? So, yeah, it, it's tough. It's, it's tough for a lot of, a lot of people. Uh, Dave Roberts is another guy that you know, maybe he was given uh, an opportunity, another opportunity that he shouldn't have gotten, especially after uh, World Series and, and all this stuff. So uh, it's tough. It, it really is. It's, it's tough to say. Um, you know, where, where these guys are, uh, the opportunities that they're going to be given to you, kind of, if you're an owner, do you throw it out the window or do you, you look at the season and say it's a lost season, let's give them another shot next year? Right. So now uh, I also have another uh, player who's, who came to mind uh, as soon as all this, uh, as soon as you started talking. Uh, Chris Bryant, right? The Cubs are kind of in limbo with him. They don't really know what to do. We've seen Bryant's name linked to a certain – a couple of teams, one of those teams being the Mets, right? So uh, is there any possibility uh, surrounding him, maybe a, a trade once the, the season gets going or, or once maybe uh, in season? And then there are a lot of other players who are going to be affected with this, uh, guys like Marcus Stroman too, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but speaking but to Brian, uh, do you see a, a way that the Cubs – can figure out to how to please his contract demands, or do you think he's going to get traded? Well, like I said before, guys, this is another one of those situations where I don't understand why you would want to trade a face of your franchise a lot like that. So I understand the Bryant's numbers haven't been as good, and he's dealt with some injuries over the last few years, but you just don't trade guys like that. You don't come across guys like this. These are guys that you developed for five, five years in a minor league system and hope that they produce half as good as Chris Bryant does. So kind of ship him off uh, after saying, you know, this guy won an MVP and won a rookie of the year. He was a massive piece of the Cubs winning the World Series in 2016. You know, you look at all these things and you say to yourself, why why are we wanting to why do we want to get rid of this guy? So um it's it's one of those situations where I, I just don't see why the Cubs wouldn't just cave to his demands. I understand he's a poorest client. I don't think that they get a contract done. I just don't think it's in the cards. You look at the way that the Cubs have, have pretty much operated over the last few years. Um, I just don't see that happening at all. Um, where do they trade him to? That's a mystery. I mean, the Braves, obviously, were in the mix. The Nationals, we heard, were in the mix. Um, the Mets, I'm not really sure what the state of their farm system is to this point. Well, um, Joe, I mean, the, the, the big rumor initially was Syndergaard for Bryant. That would make a lot of sense. Syndergaard now, you're looking at a guy, him and Chris Sellen, be the first two pitchers in history to have Tommy John surgery and not even miss a start. That would be... <laughs> Crazy. That, that, of course, means there's no season. But, you know, Spasigas Syndergaard, who's coming up on the end of his contract here with the Mets, my question for you is, you know, going into next offseason for these free agents, the money that they would expect to get is just not going to be there because his owners are going to say, well, we didn't have any revenue last season. We can't spend those contracts. So two-part question here. One, do you see some pl- players saying, all right, I'm going to take a one-year deal for – crazy amount of money and then hopefully the next year get a long-term deal or do they just take long-term deals 
with less money. And then two, are we going to see a lot of not, uh, of players non-tender next year that are going into their last year of arbitration? For example, uh, Michael Conforto comes to mind for me because he'd be going into his last year of arbitration. And yeah, he's a great player, but the Mets might say, hey, we're probably not going to be able to pay you what you're going to get in arbitration. We're not going to re-sign you. Uh, and then they say, all right, we're just going to stupidly non-tender you. What do you think of those scenarios? Yeah, I think when you're looking at this, uh, we saw last year guys aren't really afraid to take that one-year prove-it deal anymore. Um, guys are willing to bet on themselves, which I think is totally fine. That's their prerogative. So I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like a Betts would, would be open to taking a one-year deal. Uh, it would certainly make a lot of sense for him. He's still young enough uh, that he would get a long-term contract after it. Um, again, it is a gamble because you never know what's going to happen. Maybe he goes out there and then, you know, God forbid, tears an ACL. Uh, sliding into second base, nobody wants that, right? So uh, it wouldn't surprise me. As far as a non-tender situation, I think that's, Nick, that's also a very good point. Um, you know, a guy like Conforto, I've, I've been defending him for a long time. I think he's a very good player, very almost underrated player. Uh, people just don't like him for some reason. I don't know why. That's fans specifically that I've spoken to don't like him for some reason. But uh, maybe it's the inconsistency. Who knows? But uh, I, I like Conforto a lot. But they definitely would be surprised if there are players who because of the situation and everything that's going to happen with free agency uh, teams crying poor even though that might not necessarily be the case but uh yeah it wouldn't surprise me either and then you mentioned you mentioned earlier bets is on a hall of fame trajectory here so my question for you is you know for these guys that are borderline hall of famers so for example Jacob DeGrom, he's going for history he's trying to be, win a third straight sailing which in my opinion probably is a lock for him to be the Hall of Famer, but now let's say DeGrom goes three and two and he wins the, uh, the Cy Young. He still has a, a sub two, two ERA. His strikeouts are only like 60. How is this going to impact a guy like him 10 years from now when it comes up to the players of this era are eligible for the Hall of Fame? How is that going to affect voters? Well, you know, guys, I, I always say um, one of my one of the things that I kind of live by now is that uh, stats without context without context are just numbers right I think we all know that um, you, you can you know in some 15 years from now when when guys are voting on the hall of fame they're probably just going to be looking at the numbers but they won't look at the era in which they played a lot of times I think you see that with hall of fame voting so I wouldn't be surprised if, if a lot of these guys while they say yeah that was a coronavirus shortened season so maybe those those numbers don't count as much um, you know, who knows? Uh, it's, it's a tough question to answer, to be honest with you, because I just can't get in the mind of other voters or, or what players are even thinking right now. I'd imagine a lot of them are pissed. They just want to play games. And it seems like the safety is totally cool with them. Uh, everything that Major League Baseball said about safety, it seems like that's not bothering guys. So I'm sure they just want to get on the field and they want to play, man. Like I said before, these guys do want to play. So, uh, yeah, it's tough for me to say exactly how much that's going to affect guys. I can't get in their heads until, you know, we get spring training again and maybe I get to ask a few of them uh, when we do have a season if, if we're allowed to get to stadiums or wherever they're playing. So uh, that'll, that'll be a, a better question, a question better asked uh, once we get, once we uh, start playing games here. Yeah, this is severely going to impact Pete Alonso, who is currently on pace to be the all-time home run king. No <laughs> doubt about it. And obviously it's sad we won't really get to see what Trout's final numbers could have been. And, Pujols is still out there kicking, doing well, so it's going to impact a guy like him as well. But for Trout and Pujols, obviously, no doubt, Hall of Famers. Same with Verlander and Kershaw and Scherzer. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, the other thing you, you know, talk about with your, your sporting news writing, other than, you know, hey, Arnold and the Jets, is <laughs> that you're a big wrestling guy. So what are your overall thoughts on – the shows right now without real fans in the audience, are they hard to watch? And do you have any motivation to watch a pay-per-view? You know, it's certainly different guys. Um, you know, I, I was obviously, I was very skeptical in the beginning and, and I think all elite wrestling, the first Wednesday night dynamite that they did um, kind of blew me away because it really felt normal. Like they, the beginning of the show, they had Cody Rhodes go out there and talk about, you know, it's, it's kind of weird putting putting a show out here with no fans and the camera panned over to the stadium that they were wrestling in and there were no fans. And it is a very eerie feeling because the fans are so much of what make wrestling shows wrestling shows. So 
I think overall, though, a lot of it's been pretty good because you, you kind of just have to take the wrestling for what it is. Obviously, the fan interaction and reaction is a lot of uh, what makes wrestling good and, and what makes it fun to watch. But when you look at just the wrestling itself at, as a pure storytelling point, it really hasn't been all that bad. And I, on, on the opposite side, I think it's been very good. It, it really helps you focus in on the wrestling itself a lot more, which I think a lot of people don't really do often. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that they, you know, all these kind of AEW specifically, I, I watched their last pay-per-view double or nothing with no fans in the stands, just wrestlers at the sides. And I thought that was excellent. And, uh, you know, WrestleMania was, was good for what it was. Um, you know, they had two of the, the cinematic matches, uh, the Undertaker match and the Bray Wyatt match, which I thought were both were very, very creative in different ways. So, yeah, I applaud a lot of these. I, I do applaud these companies for um, for not being afraid to take risk right now and, and understand what the, what the climate is and, and for not being afraid to be creative because that's something that we really haven't seen, especially from WWE for a very long time. You know, Joe, Joe Calabrese, my, my issue with AEW right now is, you know, sometimes I can't tell if I'm watching Dynamite or if I'm watching – 1980s, 1990s, WWE and WCW because I see Mike Tyson, I see Arn Anderson, I see Jake the Snake Roberts, I see Tony Schiavone. They're all in the same <laughs> ring at the same time. Goldust is out there. <laughs> to me, it's just they need to do what they were originally doing, which was, you know, ride Jericho and Omega and Ambrose, the big names, and create new talent and establish them so they can rise up the ranks. You know, I don't, I don't think that's entirely unfair. Um, uh, sorry if I hijacked the question here, but, you know, I don't think that's entirely unfair, but I will say this too, is wrestling is always built on, on publicity and it's always built on star power. So, uh, you know, Joe, I don't know how you feel about it, but um, that's, that's kind of how I feel. So I really understand where they're coming from. I don't love the Mike Tyson stuff, but I do understand what they're trying to do. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, I think, in order for them to really grow, they have to take some chances and just bring in outside names. Even if they're, if, if they're guys past their prime, like Mike Tyson or older uh, characters that we know, like Jake Roberts and, and Arn Anderson. Uh, I think that's what all uh, pro wrestling companies need in, in a little bit of way is just like the, an infusion of some older talent to kind of legitimize what they're doing. Uh, I do agree with Nick in the sense that I think AEW has had this concrete plan for a while that they had about five to 10 superstars who were either young guys who they're, they're planning on developing their own system, like guys like MJF, who I really like, or guys who they brought in elsewhere, uh, like, like Moxley and Omega and, and the Young Bucks, right? So I think there, there's a certain... I don't. I, w- I wouldn't want to say like two or three years. That it seems to me it's a long-term plan. It seems to me like AEW realized like okay, we're going to need to do a lot of things just slowly, systematically. We need to take uh, precautions on how we book certain guys. And like I said, I think MJF is a perfect example of this because he's one of their most over characters. He's comparable, I think, uh, as the AEW's version of the Miz in the sense that he's. Very good at getting the crowd going. He's a good heel, an old-fashioned heel. He's excellent on the microphone, uh, and he's still very relatively young. I think he's only 23, if not 24 years old, right? So there's room there for him to develop, right? So he doesn't need the whole world yet, you know, because he's going to get the whole world within two or three years' time, right? So I think that's what AEW is doing, and. It's kind of a balance because when I watch AEW, I love guys like that, but I'm not really too thrilled about watching Kenny Omega. doesn't feel like a huge star to me anymore like he did when he was in New Japan, right? And that's sometimes how I feel about WWE. Perfect example of this being Apollo Crews. Apollo Crews for two years was kind of dormant, had no real direction. Uh, His career was basically a coin flip if he was ever going to get a chance again. And then in the last two months, the WWE has done a very good job of rebuilding him, and it shows that nobody is ever fully lost, right? So they, they do have to kind of toe the balance there. I'm not really crazy about the old names, but I do understand why they, why they do it. And I agree yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, big, I'm a, a big Apollo Crews fan, and the, the other major issue with the AEW is their women's division. I don't really like the way that direction's going, um, but I do think EC3, when he gets over there, is going to be incredibly 
valuable for the company. I like what they're doing with Brian Cage and Taz, although I really know what their association is together. But Joe, my question for you is, what do you say to fans who are excited that AEW is bringing in Henry Cejudo, Mike Tyson, DDP, Jake Roberts, but then you, on the same hand, they're mad at WWE for bringing in uh, Ronda Rousey, Tyson Fury, and bringing back Ric Flair and you know Brock Lesnar. You know, do you think there's any hypocrisy there between basically the same fan base, but doing one company in a great manner and one they're just fed up with? You know, I, th- I think you got to look at it. Um... So, like, WWE, we know, is, is an established global brand, right? We know that they, 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 they piss money. That's just what they do. That's, they, they make money. I, I, know, I understand that they've fallen on financial hardships or hard times, whatever, over the last six or seven months, the last year or two, uh, whatever the case may be. So, um, I think a lot of WWE fans look at, and this was, this was my biggest issue with them, is that you look at the roster that they have and the talent that they have, and the women's division that they had. And then you want to add Ronda Rousey in there who never wrestled a match in her life. And I understand that, you know, she's gifted athletically and she's a global star and she's iconic in in the MMA world. But when you're giving someone else's spot to Ronda Rousey, I understand why fans are mad because they just want to see the professional wrestling. They don't want to see the sideshow in those spots. I think the thing with AEW is while they've brought in a lot of these veteran guys um, until like Tyson, which is, you know, just bolstered right into the, right into the main event scene. Um, a lot of these guys like a DDP, they, they offer a lot to a locker room. They offer a lot from a storytelling standpoint, as a mentorship standpoint, they're not really the focus of the card. Whereas a guy like uh, Kane Velasquez was for, you know, two months or, uh, you know, you, some of these guys that WWE brings in uh, Tyson Fury, uh, you know, main eventing the f- fans don't want to see that. So I, under- I certainly understand, um, where they're coming from and that you can't really look at AEW and say, uh, well, you know, DDP is a guy that, you know, he's way past his prime. I think everybody knows that, but he's not a guy that's going to hijack the spotlight like a Tyson Fury or a Kane Velasquez or a Ronda Rousey would in WWE. And, and I think when you look at them from two different standpoints, it makes the, 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 the differences a lot clearer. And I just want to give a, give a shout out to Zack Ryder, who I think is going to be tremendous if he, if he goes over to, to AEW. You know, Joe and I just discussed that on our previous episode. But overall, you know, it is what it is right now. It's, it's rough to watch with, without the fans. Uh, but the other bit of news is, Joe, which is that Nia Jax has been getting like a, bit, a really bad rap as of late. And Everyone's saying, oh, if she was anybody else, she would have been released. But because she's The Rock and Roman Reigns' cousin, she's not. People are calling her a dangerous worker. Do you have any, any opinion on, on that matter? Uh, I mean, she hasn't really been impressive, uh, to be honest with you. She hasn't really um, – you figured a, a wrestler that's been in her spot as, as often as Nia has been and given the pushes that – she's been given, you figure that she would have been improved by now and you're just not seeing that. And, um, you know, once is, once is an accident, twice is coincidence, three times it's, it's a trend, right? So um, you look at Naya and, and the, the Kyrie saying she's injured, she's injured, uh, you know, countless women uh, in the ring. Um, you know, she, Charlotte, she's hurt. So, you know, it's tough. It really she is. She is responsible, though, for, for Becky Lynch getting the, sh- the rocket strapped on her. I mean, that yeah. scene where Becky Lynch was gushing from the nose with the broken nose, that really did wonders for our, the man's career. Yeah, I, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's unfair at all. I just think that, um, for me personally, I want to see improvement from a wrestler, especially when they're given infinite amounts of opportunities. Like The Miz, over the years – you know, the beginning of his career was really rough. I think everybody kind of knows it. And he was kind of searching for something. And now you look at him now and he's one of the biggest stars that the company has and he's improved. And I think the thing with Nia is you want to see her improve. But since she's been around, you just haven't seen that improvement, whether it's on the mic or in the ring. So um, I don't know if, if, you know, why she still has a job is because she's related to The Rock or what. I, I just know that, you know, seeing her in the ring, not really have gotten much better and, and continuing to injure people 
you know, unsafe, whatever the case may be, is it's it's tough to watch. Yeah, no, I agree, Joe. And I think going forward, the WWE, what they really need to do is they need to start taking a hard look at incidents that happen like this because the situation with Kyrie Sane on Raw Monday when she went into the steps, uh, spots like that are typically pretty preventable or the, the, the superstars know how to, to do stuff like that uh, in a very, very safe manner. So when that kind of happens and you see the discrepancy right between the sides between Nia and Kari, and uh, it's also just being about reckless with somebody else too. You don't want to share the ring with somebody who you don't fully trust. Because in the end, if you, if, the, if you don't have that full trust there, not only is the match not going to be good, but you're, you're putting your health at risk too. So I think yeah. the WWE moving forward has to implement something where, I mean, they're very, very easy giving thermless violations to guys like Samoa Joe. <laughs> uh, I think they need to be more strict when it but comes listen, to – I mean, Nye is not like most girls. I mean, just like I said herself. But, yeah, it's definitely something that I think should be kept records of. And, you know, I always wanted to bring up, going back to these old timers taking spots on everybody else. If I don't have to see Kurt Angle, Undertaker, HBK ever on WWE TV again, it would be too soon. These guys need to stop stealing <laughs> TV time. HBK and Triple H had the worst segment I've ever seen of this decade, of the 2020s. That Triple H 25-year <laughs> thing was horrendous. Undertaker, I mean, just have a retirement match already. You shouldn't have beat AJ Styles. That was stupid. AJ comes back. Nothing ever happened. Um... He's fine. Doesn't even have a haircut. Kurt Angle's fired. He's <laughs> reffing matches. Now he's, he's saying, uh, okay, this guy's going to debut on SmackDown. And now they get rid of the authority, Joe. And now all of a sudden, Elias gets hit by a car. They're framing Jeff Hardy. And this random guy is backstage trying to figure things out. We got to bring back the authority figure. I mean, it's, it's crazy how at that, in that scenario, they needed an authority figure. And I just hope Shane McMahon kind of takes over the company uh, moving forward, but yeah, a little party of Joe has got to miss when Stephanie McMahon and Triple H would start off each Raw. Welcome to Monday Night Raw! Don't you miss those days? You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, I, I really don't, but uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for me, Nick, honestly, it's it gets to a point where obviously WWE looks at all heat is good heat, right? But that's not always the case. It's going way heat, and, and it's stuff that you don't want to see guys on TV anymore. You know, the authority and everything that happened with Daniel Bryan, I mean, the fact that Daniel Bryan was never scheduled to be in that WrestleMania main event with uh, Batista and Randy Orton um, is, is really speaks to what WWE's priorities have always been. Um, and, and a lot of it is just not giving a damn of what about what the general audience wants, what the internet wants, things that make logical sense. Like you mentioned, all of a sudden, Adam Pearce is, is the SmackDown authority figure. Like, why um, AJ Styles gets buried or whatever at WrestleMania, and, and he comes back. And, I still want an explanation yeah. as to why Fifth Finley had the authority to put Becky Lynch in the Royal Rumble. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, again, I, I understand it's because... From what I gather, it's because Fit Finley has had such a great hand in the wrestling uh, and the development of the women. But at the same time, that's all behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, that's something that the casual viewer will not understand from seeing that spot. So, yeah, to your point, it's not something that makes any logical on-screen storyline sense unless you know what's really happening behind the scenes. So uh, a lot of WWE, and we've known this for years, a lot of it just doesn't make logical sense week to week. It, it, it feels aimless at times. Um, you know, the, the Fiend is, is built up to be this massive character. Uh, and then he he jobs out to Goldberg. And, you know, it just doesn't make any sense, a lot of it. So. Well, you know what did make sense? Otis winning money in the bank. And the, <laughs> o- the only reason – the only way I want to see the Fiend as champion again is if it means Otis catches it in Joe Calabrese. And that way we see <laughs> Otis as champ. And Mandy needs to be champ as well. And that way he could just be – we could have a mega Otis couple. Well, we could have a mega couple in WWE of Otis and Mandy. And we could have a mega couple in Queens where you have A-Rod and J-Lo owning the bats. <laughs> oh man i would love to see otis win uh the universal championship he's my favorite guy right now that's not even not even kidding 
You know, Otis is interesting because I always like their I always like heavy machineries working in NXT and you could tell that they're just even Tucker even Tucker Knight is, is just, he's he's a pretty charismatic guy himself and they did work well together. So um yeah, I mean it's it's this is one of those rare situations where a guy has gotten over pretty organically and WWE's run with it. And Otis is obviously a very talented guy and I don't want to take anything away from him at all. But this is Otis Dojovic we're talking about here. I mean, this is a guy that um, you know, he might be like a, you know, obviously two very different wrestlers, but he might be like a new age Santino Morello where they're kind of comedy gimmicks that get over and people want to see them succeed. I don't know how, how long that shine is going to last for a guy like Otis, but um, certainly out of the box thinking with having him win a money in the bank, he's, he's the guy that you would have never thought that that would actively win um, that ladder match. And then, and then he did. And now everybody's kind of wondering where it's going to go next. Joe, it's honestly been a pleasure talking with you. Loved your insight. Uh, Love talking wrestling with you, too. Thanks for doing it with us. This was a lot of fun. we got to have you on again. Absolutely, guys. Whenever you need it, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, stay safe out there. Stay healthy. You too, man. You too. All right. Thank you, Joe. And Joe, that's going to do it for another episode of our show. We hope you enjoy listening. And if you have any issues with any of Joe Rivera's takes, his tweets, he's always looking looking for those tweets. Joe Vera Sporting News. You can find him out there. For our special guest, Joe Vera, my coach, Joe Calabrese, I'm Nick Durst, and this has been You Know I'm Right. COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership-developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com money for college.